Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back to another GeoMob podcast. This morning, it's my enormous pleasure to be talking to Vivian Godfrey, who is the Chief Executive of Stanford's. Stanford's is a map shop in London, which has been there since 1853. They've published maps, they've been the royal cartographer, and they've been a source of obscure maps for government and travellers for nearly two centuries. If you love physical maps, Stanford's is possibly the best shop in the world. I challenge you to spend time in their shop and not make a purchase. So today it's a chance to talk about Stanford's, their history, and what being a map shop is like in the midst of a COVID crisis. So, Vivian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Stephen. So, to start with, Vivian, lots of our listeners won't have heard of Stanford. So, tell us a little bit about the history of the company. Yes. So, Stanford's was founded in 1853 in a shop just at the edge of Trafalgar Square. The exact premises is not there anymore. It's been torn down and replaced with something else. It was founded at the very beginning of the the golden age of tourist travel. So really before about the mid 1800s, people didn't really go on leisure trips to places. It's interesting, of course, that Thomas Cook was founded at about the same time, a little bit later. But um, so Edward Stanford's establishment of his his business was, was really at a perfect moment. The business thrived. And as you mentioned in your introduction, has been lucky enough to be the royal cartographer and, and publishing maps uh, and selling them to, to all sorts of interesting and famous customers. Florence Nightingale was a, a customer and uh, Ernest Shackleton was a customer. And even the, the mythical Sherlock Holmes was a customer and he would send Watson down to Stanford's to, to get a map so that he could hunt the hound of the Baskervilles. So over the course of decades, the business actually moved four times around the Trafalgar Square area into different premises. And one of the premises, if you if you go to the, the south side of Trafalgar Square now, and you'll see a building which has a red sandstone fascia, and you can tell that it's a, a former premises of Stanford's because it has various globes and other kind of geographical indications uh, on, on the front of the building. Anyway, so we moved around four times. And then finally, our fifth home, starting in 1901, was 12 to 14 Longacre. And those of your listeners who know Stanford's probably think that that's where Stanford started and have always been there. And when we decided to leave those premises, which is a story I'll talk about later on, many of our customers uh, were, were sort of confused and, and didn't really understand that actually we've moved a number of times before. And so it was sad to leave that home. But Stanford's has moved with the times previously and, and moved to premises that, that were more suitable. Anyway, we did move to our, our fifth home in 1901 on Longacre. And uh, the Stanford family still owned the business at that time. 
But in 1946, the, the shareholders, the Stan Stanford's family owners of the business, decided that they didn't really want to carry on running the business. They had other interests. So in 1946, the business was sold to the George Phillip Group, which was also a publisher of maps and atlases and globes and, and textbooks. In fact, it was really Stanford's that was more about flat maps. And the George Phillip Group was a lot more about atlases, textbooks and, and that sort of thing. So the George, Phillip, George Phillips bought the business in 1946 and Stanford's continued, you know, as, as part of a larger group for, for the next decades. And at some stage, did the Stanford family take it back? No, no, they didn't. So just a little bit of background as to the family ownership. My grandfather, Gordon Godfrey, joined the George Phillip Group in 1919 after serving in the First World War. And he was not really a cartographer. He was much more interested in the editorial side of things. He, he had a degree in geography from Oxford University, but he really loved writing. And his role with the George Phillip Group was essentially editorial. And at some point in his career, and we have a lovely photograph of my grandfather attending a Stanford's board meeting, but at some point, my grandfather became the chairman of Stanford's, which was at that point, you know, a division of this larger George Phillip Group. Fast forward a little bit, and in 1949, my father, Patrick Godfrey, joined the George Phillip Group. And he was really more of a sales salesman. And he would go overseas a lot. I remember from my childhood that he would be often on trips to the Caribbean, uh, the West Indies, and visiting different island governments and the education departments. And they would be ordering atlases and textbooks that, that my father sold to them. He would go to the, the former colonies in Africa and again be selling them uh, atlases and textbooks. I'm sure your listeners are, are aware that if you, let's say you live in uh, Jamaica, uh, you if you have an atlas at school, you it might be called the Phillips Modern School Atlas, which would be the same one that you would look at in the United Kingdom. But at the beginning of the atlas would be pages with the island of Jamaica, followed by the West Indies, followed probably by South America, North America, and so on and so on. Whereas the, the atlas that I grew up with using at school, the Phillips Modern School Atlas, has Britain at the front, followed by Europe, followed by you know other parts of the world. So one of the intriguing things about the, the atlas business is that, that they, they use the same pages, but they put them in a different order um, <laughs> for their different, you know, customers. Anyway, you know, what the Godfrey family got involved with the Stanford's business in a, in a management role. And there were a lot, there were a number of other key families that were shareholders of the George Phillip group. So there were, of course, the Phillips themselves, the Bennetts and the Dixons, but no Stanford's after 1946. Because the Stanford family sold Stanford's in its entirety to the George Phillip Group, none of the Stanford's were shareholders. But, right. but when the George Phillip Group demerged in the 1990s, uh, Stanford's was spun off as a separate standalone business, as it had been previously. Uh, and at that time, some members of the Stanford's family bought some shares. And so we do now have members of the Stanford's family amongst the roughly 70, slightly more than 70 shareholders that the company has today. I see. Okay. So how did Vivian Godfrey get started in the family business? 
Well, I, like my dad and my granddad and my mum, I studied geography at Oxford University. And when I was starting to think about what I would do when I graduated, I talked to my father and he said, oh, whatever you do, no, you don't want to get, come and work for the Philip Group and get involved in Stanford's and, and all the other bits of the business. You should go and do something completely different and get some good experience doing something totally, totally different. So I did. And I, I joined a consulting firm, McKinsey and & Company, and most of my clients at McKinsey were in consumer packaged goods or retail. And then after seven years with them, I went to uh, Diageo, which was called Grand Metropolitan at the time. And they owned various food and drink businesses and pubs and all sorts of other stuff like that. So I had another nine years experience, mostly in food and drink. When I got to the year 2000, I was at this point living in the United States and married to an American. And he and I decided that we would buy a business based in Florida called Blue Water Books and Charts. And one of the reasons we bought this business is I, I have a great love for, for mapping and charts and so on. And my husband is a keen boater. I thought at the back of my mind, if I buy this business, maybe at some point we could connect it with Stanford's. And, and indeed that has come to pass. Stanford's, you know, is obviously far more focused on land-based mapping. And my business in the States is far more focused on marine navigation and charting. But the two companies do cooperate. But I've been living full-time in the United States for, for almost 30 years. And even though I was invited to join the board of Stanford's about 15 years ago, most of the time I participated in somewhat of a remote way. I was on the other end of the telephone. I didn't come that often to in-person board meetings. But that all changed about four years ago. We had a managing director in place. We were coming to the end of our lease at Longacre and the managing director and I had a vastly different opinion about what we should do. There was certainly no question that we could stay in the premises at Longacre. The rent was going to go up from a, a little under a million pounds a year to quite a lot more than a million pounds a year, which for a, for a retail business is just eye-watering. And the rates had already gone from about £250,000 a year to 450000 So we were looking at an establishment cost that was just absolutely beyond our reach. We tried to work with the owners of the building because at that point the building had been sold by the George Philip Group and didn't belong to Stanford's anymore. So I said to the managing director, look, we can't afford to stay and we need to move to somewhere nearby but smaller so that we can continue offering what Stanford's does best, which is maps of the world and custom cartography, but we cannot stay at Longacre. He wasn't very happy with this decision and he particularly wasn't happy with the fact that I recommended that we try to find slightly smaller premises and he resigned. So there was nothing really more that I could do than say, well, I'd better rent a flat in London and start to spend a good deal more time here and oversee the move to our new premises and generally try to get Stanford's on track to a more robust financial future. At the very beginning of 2020, we had been in our new premises at Seven Mercer Walk exactly a year and things were starting to look really good. We were looking at what was going to be a good and I think profitable year in the new location. And then COVID came along and COVID, 
you know, has had a huge impact on us. And, you know, we, uh, we've been struggling ever since. So that's hardly surprising, really. I mean, just before we talk about COVID, though, do you still publish maps? At yes, we, are you still yes, a we do. map maker and a cartographer? We, what kind we of are. maps do you publish? Yeah. But much more limited than than previously. I think one of the great shames of the fact that the Stanford's business was purchased by the George Philip Group is that really Stanford stopped making their own maps and they were all published under the Philips brand and, and Stanford's pretty much became a, a retailer and wholesaler. But we do still publish maps mostly for businesses, generally speaking, not for resale to the public. So we have a Stanford's for Business division in Manchester, and they do all sorts of custom mapping, both digital and hard copy, primarily for business usage. I see. And I guess what we know you for is an incredible selection of paper maps from all over the world. Um, Sort of if you're a traveller and you're going anywhere in the world, you can walk into Stanford's and get yourself good detailed paper map for that area that you're traveling. Yes, that's exactly right. What Stanford's is for both land-based maps and now increasingly nautical charts, we try to offer the widest possible selection available for any part of the globe. And while there is a good growth in print-on-demand for both land maps and nautical charts, there's still an awful lot of places in the world where the best, most detailed map is actually produced by the local survey department, generally speaking, still part of the government. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, private maps produced privately by small organizations who have some, you know, very uh, real need. I think a great example might be there are some wonderful walking maps for trails in Lebanon um, which are not produced by the Lebanese government, but are produced by a private organisation. And they are just the best maps that you can get if you want to go hiking amongst the cedars of Lebanon. And Stanford's carries those. So, so, so sort it's, of like a Wainwright map, but for Lebanon. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So we truly pride ourselves on having the widest selection. And in many instances, you, if, if you went to Lebanon or to some of the other places that we source maps for, you would find it very, very hard indeed to find the maps there, which may sound extraordinary, but it is often the case that, you know, we can source them more easily than if you try and get them locally. So I would say that a lot of our experienced customers know that to be the case and they would yeah. not dream of setting off without coming to Stanford's first because they might say to themselves, oh, well, I'm I'm going to go to Cyprus and I'm going to do some hiking there, assuming that once they arrive in Cyprus, they can find the maps that they need and they very well may not be able to. So that's no, why, you know, Stanford's is the first port of call for many people. How has digital affected your business? Because, you know, lots of people now think that uh, with Google Maps in their pocket, they don't need a paper map. Yes. So the digital world has affected the business both negatively and positively. So in a negative sense, we can look at our Stanford sales and see a huge decline in the sale of roadmaps and road atlases because uh, most people rely on the sat-nav device 
in their vehicle. People also rely on the maps on their phone, but those really aren't maps um, because they don't, you can't see a wide enough area for it really to be considered a map. It's a sort of navigation device. Absolutely. So, but for sure, there's been a decline. However, I will tell you, a short way into the lockdown from the COVID, I took a phone call from a panicked member of the post office saying that he was just desperate to lay his hand on some roadmaps and road atlases because the post office had seen a quite a big increase in deliveries and they've taken on new drivers and they do not have sat-nav devices in many of their vehicles because they're expensive. And so they, they're counting on the drivers being able to use a roadmap or an atlas. And they have, they have new drivers who haven't the faintest idea really where they're going. So this poor chap, he called me up and he said, Oh, I know you're closed, but could I please come to your new shop at Seven Mercer Walk and have a look at what you've got and, and to go away with some atlases that I can use with my drivers? So I said, yes, certainly, absolutely, come and I, I will help you. Um, but broadly, you know, that has been the negative impact, the decline in the use of roadmaps and atlases. The positive side is that there is now a bit of a backlash against using the, the mapping on your digital device, which is seen as not very authentic. And this I particularly see in the sort of 20 to 30 year old group where people are saying, well, we're going to go out and we're going to have a, a, you know, we're going to do some walking, hiking. And they would not dream of trying to do that with their digital device. They would say, well, that's just not authentic. And if we're going to do the real thing and we're going to take a tent with us and so on, we, we got to do the whole mapping thing properly. So that's actually great. I mean, people are really saying if you're going to do something uh, properly, then you need a proper map. Yeah, I get that. And I also, I know from my own my own experience, and I've talked about this on, on several events, there are places where a paper map is just completely different experience to digital, you know. And if you're in a, a new city, for example, you can't get any sense of the connection between different places within the city and what's near and what's far trying to view it all on a sort of five-inch phone screen. You need a paper map that you can unfold and sit over a cup of coffee and say, well, we'll go here and we'll go there, which you can't do with a digital map. So I think there's, there's plenty of mileage yet left in paper maps. Well, there um, is, and I think I would also mention that we know that during the, the, the crisis, and, and I think in generally cycling is growing in popularity and people are buying a lot of maps from Stanford's for cycling and that, that you really need the maps for two reasons and, and not the thing on your phone. First of all, you need a map that allows you to do your planning because this isn't just necessarily going for an hour's bicycle around where, where you live. This is planning a five-day cycling journey you know across the south of england or whatever you need you need an overview map to be able to plan each day's route and decide where you're going to spend the night so that you you need a, one map for that purpose and then you you probably need the detailed ordnance survey maps or again there are some very good private map makers that produce excellent maps particularly for cycling and and they they produce them for different levels of cycling and whether you're cycling, if it's adults only 
or whether you've got children with you, you might want to choose to go to, to places and along routes that are less trafficked. And, and, you know, that's really important if you've got youngsters with you. And so the ordnance survey maps are excellent, but then there are also these paper maps from private companies that, that are very good for certain purposes. And, it, and we do see people taking cycling trips, contacting us and wanting advice about, you know, exactly which map they should buy, which brings me to another point, which is here's, here's another positive of sort of the digital situation. You, you can't ask the digital provider questions, whereas, you know, we're desperately old fashioned here at Stanford's. We man the telephone lines seven days a week and we answer wow. emails seven days a week. And, you know, we have a lot of older customers who don't want to order on the website, or we have customers who simply need advice, and we provide that advice. And and quite honestly, uh, Stephen, I'm not sure really that there's anyone else who does that right now. I don't think there is. But just get back to coronavirus, Vivian, because I mean, it must have had an enormous impact. Um, you know, your business is primarily, I guess, people who are traveling or cycling or hiking. And uh, it's also in central London. So you must have had a double whammy because no one was traveling and very few people were coming into central London. Yes. Yeah, so actually, I would say there's it's sort of the middle of a perfect storm of three factors. The first one, as you've said, is people are not allowed to travel or are not traveling. Secondly, we're lo located in central London and the government is telling people not to get on public transport and come into city centers like London. But thirdly, we also have greater expenses than our purely online competitors. And, you know, we have staff that have to be paid for and the premises that are more expensive than having a giant warehouse you know, in the, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Luckily, our Stanford's for Business office in Manchester has continued their sales pretty much as normal with the team all working from their homes. So that revenue has sustained us. Also, our website sales have remained good. And since the most recently announced lockdown from the 5th of November, they've actually been stronger. But finally, the best lifeline for us that has really helped us is the launch of our crowdfunding campaign that was made possible using the Mayor of London's Pay It Forward platform. So anyone who is a business or a charity in London can use this crowdfunder platform at no charge. You know, normally this company crowdfunder that is partnered with the Mayor of London charges a pretty high percentage fee for any money that you raise. But this deal with the Mayor of London, they're not charging any fee. And we launched this two weeks ago with the goal of raising £120,000. And we have already exceeded our wildest expectations by raising over £95,000 already by today, which is just over two weeks. So if your listeners would like to support us, they can visit the Mayor of London's Pay It Forward site and, you know, they, they'll find Stanford's and they, they can make a donation or a, or a pledge. And um, I've got the link for that is in the show notes, Vivian. So anyone who's listening to this, go to the show notes and you'll find the link to that. So what will this, you know, if you raise, it looks like you're well on target to raise the £120,000. I can absolutely passionately recommend anybody who cares about maps, who wants a map emporium in the centre of London to keep going, stick your hand in your pocket and help out Stanford because they really are worth helping out. 
what what difference will this crowdfunder make in terms of your getting through this awful period? Well, it will, frankly, make the difference between surviving and 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 not surviving. Why did why are we asking for one hundred and twenty thousand pounds? Well, our last forecast that we did in the middle of October before we went live showed, and this was before the latest lockdown was introduced, showed that we were on track to lose £123,000 by the end of March. And that's even after making 22 of our staff redundant. Um, You know, we just have huge expenses, the people, you know, and, and all of the other expenses associated with staying in business. So it will make the difference between staying in business and not. And I've not done a reforecast since the new lockdown was announced. But quite honestly, the gap probably got bigger. So, um, you know, we'll just have to do everything we can. So the other thing I think I would ask your listeners to do is, yes, put your hands in your pocket. We would love that. But also find something on our website to purchase. Uh, Christmas is coming up. I'm sure we have things that might be fun as as gifts. Um, And also just spread the word. You know, tell your family, your friends, your colleagues about not just the crowdfunder, but about Stanford's and visit our website. We have lots of fascinating things for people to purchase. Okay, so I'm a massive map lover, as you can imagine. Yeah. If I was going to point my kids at the Stanford's catalogue online, what might they get me as a map-loving Christmas present? Well, it's not a a flat map. It's a round map. I would recommend a globe. So, (laughs) you know, globes are fantastic for the person in your life that is hard to buy a gift for. We sell all sorts of globes. I particularly recommend illuminated globes. They make wonderful... They, they can make a wonderful nightlight for a, for a child's bedroom, but they, they are beautiful. They come in all sorts of sizes and shapes. And also for, for children, blow-up globes, you, you know, are fantastic. And we have a big, big selection of inflatable globes. You know, they're not super expensive and they're a wonderful way to introduce children. But if your kids were asking, you know, what, what to buy for you, I think a globe would be great. Also, we're selling lots and lots of travel literature at the moment, both fiction and non-fiction for the armchair traveller. So, you know, you can look at our website, click click on travel literature, and there's there's oodles of things to choose from. A a book that I read uh, earlier this year that I absolutely love that you might be interested in is Underland by Robert McFarlane. So Underland, Robert McFarlane has written a lot of different, really, really great books, and you'll find all of them on the Stanford's website. But Underland is a series of, let me say, short stories or short descriptions of geography under the surface of the planet. And that Uh may sound like a bit of a weird concept to get your head around, but, but believe me, it's absolutely fascinating. And it took him 10 years to write this book because he's gone to different parts of the globe to go under the surface of the world to 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 give you a whole new way of looking at things. And that, so the title Underland uh, just is a, is a wonderful title for this book. Well, I hope that one of the Feldman children is listening to this podcast. Actually, I doubt they are, Vivian, but I'll give them a more direct prompt. Underland by Robert McFarlane. So a last question for you. How do you think your business is going to change after the pandemic? Well, I think we we are confident and we hope that our web business will continue to grow because we're very close to launching a new site, 
with a greatly improved search engine uh, and more products. We do know that our current site is, is a bit old and clunky and the search engine is poor. So one of the things that will change after the pandemic is we will invest more in and put more time and attention into making sure that we have a better website. The second thing we're going to do is we plan to have more different events with authors and we are going to start to do more events that are both live and virtual. And we're not doing that at the moment, but we are putting the technology in place uh, to be able to do that going forward. So that will be uh, something different. The third thing that I'm expecting is we will continue to do more print on demand and custom maps. And I'll give you an example of that. As a result of the, the crowdfunding outreach, I had an email from somebody who specializes in selling antique antiquarian original maps. And he has a collection of antiquarian antique maps that is digitized. And we will probably sign an agreement with him to offer those up to people who would like to have printed copies of these rare maps. I mean, they're all out of copyright and it's just a question of bringing them forth to map lovers of the world and saying, you know, if you'd like a copy of this lovely map from the 1700s of the Netherlands, you know, Stanford's is a place that you can order it from. So I definitely see a growth in, in that area of offering up print-on-demand maps that are both antique and, and modern day. You know, we continue to do a lot of site-centered modern maps, aerial photography, again, that's probably site-centered, lots and lots of different print-on-demand products that I think will grow. So the future is rosy, even if the pandemic has caused a little bit of interruption to business as usual. If we can get through the pandemic, if we can get to the end of March, if we can see the introduction of one or more vaccines, I'm confident that Stanford's will be secure for the future. Well, that's a great note to finish on. I just wanted to say that for anyone who's not been to Stanford's, and I'm guessing quite a lot of the listeners haven't, just imagine the Emporium in a Harry Potter movie, you know, in the early Harry Potter movies, and just imagine it. It's no longer an ancient shop, it's a modern shop, but it is just cram-packed full of maps, of travel books, of globes, of all sorts of things. It's just go and spend an hour or two there, and I promise you, you'll come out in love with Stanford's. Vivian, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I hope you blast through the crowdfunder target that you've set yourselves. I look forward to being able to come into the new shop again as soon as the pandemic is over and browse through some of those books and maybe even get a chance to have a cup of coffee with you in person and carry on the conversation. Stephen, that will be lovely. I look forward to it. And thank you very much for inviting me to be your guest today. That's my pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. 
You can check out Mapery at mapery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.